So uh, talk to me about uh, dating. Mm-hmm. Um, have you tried to date in Germany? And uh, have I tried to date in Germany? Um, this is Akham Abel Hassan. He's a Syrian refugee living in Berlin. Um, it happened once last year. I met a nice girl, and yeah. And our story begins with this one chance encounter. This was a year ago. He was chasing down a room for rent. It's always difficult to find a room here in Berlin. This one was in a flat with four German guys. They have some sort of team. Their common hobby is sword fighting. Uh, Well, The rent was cheap. Yeah. Anyway, while he was there, staring at the swords made of foam, mind you, he'd only recently arrived from the Syrian war, he started chatting with a woman who was there with a friend, who was also looking at the place. She was in med school. Her name was Stina. They liked the same football club. And she had a ton of questions about Syria. And she was so friendly and nice that when she asked him about his life, he told her the truth. I kind of uh, went through talking about, I don't have any friends yet. I'm new in Berlin and so on. And she was just, uh, okay, then just give me your number and we can do other things. So I was... um, Okay, that's really nice. Unlike most refugees who recently arrived in Germany, Akhtam is highly educated. He came on a plane, legally. He enrolled in a master's program for electrical engineering. And he's also not Muslim. He's Druze. It's a minority religious group in Syria. In our community, it's a little bit open-minded. I mean, we had girls as friends. We used to go to cafes together. And we used to go partying and so on. Though it was always very chaste, even kissing on the cheek. That was for... After engagement. Not the mouth, the cheek. And yeah... So what shocked him about his encounter with this German med student was not the fact of talking to a woman. It was that she seemed so trusting and open. Actually, she was the one to make the first move and ask me for my number. And uh, it was like uh, a few months after what happened in Cologne. The news Cologne. of what happened in the city of Cologne on New Year's Eve has electrified Germany. mass assault. More than a thousand men. The vast majority of the suspects are believed to be migrants or refugees. People had ideas about um, refugees. I was touched from behind my back and I was touched under my skirt and my butt. A few days later, this German med student, she surprised him again. She texted him an invitation to go swimming. Public swimming baths closed its doors on men from the local refugee center. Swimming pools have become a kind of symbol of a space in Germany where refugee men are seen as intruders. Five schoolgirls complained that they'd been groped by a group. I just responded with a really dumb response. I just said, I would love to go, but I actually can't swim. And that is always embarrassing for me to be 36 and not able to swim. Yeah, but then... She doesn't respond for days, and Akhtham's beating himself up. Um, But finally, she does invite him out to a bar to watch a soccer game. Yeah, there were a couple of friends of her as well. Um, We watched the game. um, They talked about her studies. He talked more about the war. They stayed for hours, even after the game had ended. We had few drinks. uh, Akhtham drinks beer. They had several. And until the last moment, everything, we were talking and laughing and um, so normal. And I mean, we we hugged each other. Just a safe, culturally appropriate hug. 
he was sure of that. As the usual goodbye saying here in, in Germany, and we'll see each other, yeah, we'll see each other, and so on. Except they never did. He'd write her texts. And she just didn't respond. A few weeks later, he texted again. Uh, yeah, I tried later, but no response. So, mm. yeah, it's obviously she doesn't want to. That, that's it. And that was a year ago, his only date since he arrived in Germany. And really, he has been deconstructing it ever since. What did I do wrong? What went wrong? What's, what's the reason? Was it that stupid text about the swimming? Does it have to do with refugees thing? Is it, does it have to do with being an electrical engineer? Sometimes that can be scary. I don't know why. Was it that hug, that last goodbye hug? Did he just do it wrong? Why am I single? This is Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. We're a show from NPR where we look at how a conversation playing out in one place is sounding very different somewhere else. The conversation around sex and dating when it comes to Syrian refugees, we've all heard a version of that story. Refugee men arrive in Europe with incompatible views of women and sex and social norms. But in the shadow of that story, there are, of course, people like Akvam, desperate not to seem like the refugee stereotype, not to come off as predators, but still trying to figure out a way to fall in love and date. The reason we're focusing on Akvam is because he got a rare opportunity. He got someone who would scroll through his texts, watch his hugs, break down his flirt from start to finish, and tell him exactly where he had gone wrong and how to fix it. He got a flirt coach. Yeah, flirt coaching. Yes, why not? When Rough Translation returns. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Babbel. If you want to learn a language for a trip or to speak with new friends and family, Babbel quickly teaches you how to have real-life conversations confidently in Spanish, French, Italian, and more. With short and convenient 10- to 15-minute lessons, you can use Babbel on your computer, smartphone, or tablet. And right now, get an exclusive offer at babbel.com translation and use offer code TRANSLATION. We're back with Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. Akvam lives in a neat little single room in a shabby dormitory in former East Berlin. Have, a, have something. That's Luisa Beck. She's a journalist based in Berlin. We reported this story together. Did you? Is that a metal poster? No, W-O-A. What is that? Wacken Open Air. Akvam is a major heavy metal fan. Have you ever heard of Wacken? No. You never heard of Wacken? No. Oh, my God. Akhtam's love of heavy metal began in high school. In Syria, the heavy metal music scene was targeted by the regime, and bands got arrested. Akhtam hated the government for that, hated them for a lot of things. So he was excited when the revolution came. Akhtam's region, called Al-Swaida, is mostly Druze, the minority group that at the time was very loyal to President Bashar al-Assad. So these small anti-government demonstrations that were happening in his region, they were a big deal. But he noticed something that the government wasn't just paying attention to the protesters. They were so much focusing on who's broadcasting them to the world. 
So Syrians from the diaspora started sending them cameras, hidden cameras, hidden cameras inside pens and watches. Not only in the watch, like we had the, the car keys. It, thing on the car keys. Beep, beep. Yeah. We we had one as well with a camera. And among these revolutionary circles, Akdam got a nickname. Abu Tekno. Abu Tekno. Tekno comes from technology. The guy who'd secretly film rallies and then set up proxy servers to upload the photos. This was dangerous work. Akdam had several close calls. He was searched, detained. He says if they'd found the camera hidden inside his car keys... I wouldn't uh, be alive now, of course, but... Um, yeah. And so during this time, Akdam says he made a decision about his love life. I just refused to, to have any real relationship. He'd seen his friends arrested while their family suffered. And the reverse, families arrested to pressure someone to turn himself in. And even if that person did surrender... Most of the times, they kept both. Both the revolutionary and his family. Yeah, they didn't release the family. I mean, So staying single back then... It seemed the right thing to do. It was so horrible seeing the families getting this torture. Even the torture of separation? The torture of separation, yeah. yeah. Now he's in Germany and feeling lonelier than ever. Now he's got no one. And every time he Skypes with his parents back in Syria. In every and each call, my mom ha- and my father as well, they have to bring up the... Come on, get 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 a girlfriend. Go 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 engaged. You should get married. You we want to see your kids. And and so what do you say? Yeah. I say that I am trying to. Akdam is trying. He bartends at the dorm each Friday night. He's downloaded all the dating apps. He's done meetups on this Facebook group meant to introduce refugees and locals. And it was actually on that group that Akhtam saw a note for something called Improv Without Borders. (laughs) So that Thursday afternoon, he found himself in a hipster rent-a-studio sort of place, which is where reporter Louisa Beck first met him. Akhtam starts with his arms crossed, but you can't do that for long in improv theater. People play icebreaker games with a lot of yelling, invent skits, tell a childhood story in a made-up language called Gromolo. It's awkward, especially awkward because this group is half Europeans, half refugees. There are these cultural differences that everyone's trying to feel out. Sophia Lierenfeld is the workshop teacher. And I wasn't sure how I would be able to deal with it. She's tall with long hair, black eyeglasses. I like to look sexy. She loves wearing low-cut tops and dresses. But on the first day of class... (laughs) Honestly, I was wearing the most unattractive outfit that I was wearing this whole year. (laughs) (laughs) Was that on purpose? (laughs) Yes, definitely. I was wearing uh, just a black shirt which didn't show any any part of my boobs. And I was wearing, like, black, uh, loose jeans. I wasn't really sure how men from Arabic countries would react on me because there's this whole idea that was spread by media that Arabic men see women who are dressed in, in a dress, for example. 
as horse. It was just a whole different culture and I didn't know it yet. The next week I was like, oh, come on, seriously, I'm just going to wear what I like. And it didn't change a thing. When people walk into Impro, Sophia hugs everyone. She dances around, and if someone hesitates for too long, they have to run around the circle shouting. I'm so sexy! <laughs> Some people are yelling it out. I'm so sexy! Others kind of whisper it. <laughs> and Akvam, Akvam loves improv. In a workshop about theater, you just can go wild. He says he's here to be less shy. And you can hear him trying out this new self. <laughs> At one point, he's doing a scene with one of the women from the workshop. So she's playing a hairdresser. And she's upset because Akvam's got a shaved head. And how is she supposed to style a shaved head? So Akvam says, To tell you the truth, I'm not here for the hair. I'm here for you. Could we? No, she says. I'm just a hairdresser. Oh, but you're a woman too, he says. He's being really playful and charming. Not for you, she says. Not for me? No. Okay, so no chance? Just one coffee with me, he asks. No. Beer? No. Food? No. It's almost painful to watch. And Sophia ends the scene. When Akvam lets wild, when he lets his hair down, so to speak, he verges right up close to that stereotype that he's trying so hard to avoid, that obnoxiously persistent flirter who can't take a hint. But Akvam is not doing this in real-life hair salons or bars. And for him, he says, just getting to test out this new self, it is kind of helpful because this is what he's trying to figure out in Germany. What is the line between flirting and hassling? Akvam is not the only one trying on a different version of himself. While Luisa Beck was coming here week after week to report, she started noticing another Syrian refugee, 19-year-old Rachat Hadid. She's been in the country for two years, but doesn't have any German friends her age. Rachat's got a lot on her plate. Since she and her dad left Damascus, her mom is still in Syria, she's got to help her dad deal with all these bureaucratic things in her limited German. Unlike Akvam, Raka doesn't come to this improv class to learn to flirt. But she does find herself facing a similar dilemma in Germany, which is how do you express yourself in a new country when your status is so uncertain and the stakes for being misunderstood are so high? The first few times she comes, she's shy. She's got this polite little chuckle. <laughs> when I ask her why she chose improv theater, she says, She imagines a future where she's a strong person, not weak, not shy. Rahad speaks German reluctantly. She often slips back into Arabic and lets her friends translate. She's afraid that when she's in public places that she says something wrong and that people will laugh. 
that she's afraid of being seen as a stranger, that they'll think that she doesn't know what her rights are. Someone they can take advantage of. Or that she knows nothing about, about this place. There are all these moments in improv theater in which the world's awkwardness and language barriers, all that stuff just falls away. But then there's this one day when Rahad doesn't show up. It's weird. And then in the last 10 minutes of class, the door opens and it's Rahad. But instead of jumping into the circle, she sits in a chair off by the side of the room. I go over and talk to her after class, and it's clear by her face that she's really upset. Her polite chuckle is back. I ask if everything is okay. Yeah, she says, and kisses me on the cheek. I ask her again, and she looks off to the side, takes a breath, and then tells me she's shaken up. She took the subway here, the U-Bahn, and while inside, a man with a small dog stood behind her, and suddenly he yelled at her and he shoved her from behind. And she didn't know why. She didn't know what was happening. She was worried that he'd hit her, so she got out. And that's why she's late. Raha tells me she wants to know what went wrong. Her friends Judy and Kinda come over. And we try to figure it out. Does she have any idea why he did it? No. Did she accidentally step on his dog? No. Maybe because of the headscarf? She's not sure. She tells me she wants to talk to Sophia. She'll know what to do. And so we find Sophia, and Sophia listens to the story of the guy on the U-Bahn. She asks none of the why questions that we did. Instead, she tells Rahad to push her like the guy just pushed her. And then, Hallo? Spinnst du oder was? Hello? Are you crazy or what? Fass mich nicht an. Don't touch me. <laughs> Sophia tells Rahad, your turn to try it. Okay. And Rahad looks at her with his big eyes. Wir üben das andersrum. Ich schubst dich und du machst dieselbe Reaktion. <laughs> Doch. Sophia <laughs> says, yes, <laughs> yes, turn around. Werde ich. Werde ich. Defend yourself. Do it. Do it again. And Sophia tells her, you can even yell at him in Arabic. Rahad looks shocked at this. She's come to Sophia, the German coach, to give her the right German response to this confusing German situation. And Sophia is telling her, it doesn't matter what language she says it in. She can even answer in Gromolo, the nonsense language. She tells Rahad to repeat after her. Sag mal, lass mich in Ruhe. Lass mich in Ruhe. Leave me alone. Lass mich in Ruhe. Ja, das ist ein guter Satz, wenn du das sagst. Sophia tells Rahad, when I push you again, that's your cue. Lass mich in Ruhe. Gut, sehr gut. Very good, Sophia tells her. We can sit down now. Wenn, okay. Now, Sophia's actually had a lot of practice helping people express their feelings. She's worked in theater, she's taught acting to kids, and five years ago... I kind of coincidentally became a flirt coach. A flirt coach. Or I think in English you would more say dating coach. (laughs) 
Now, when Akhtam, through Facebook, learned about this other job of his improv teacher, his first thought was, what? Because I felt that it's silly. How can you teach someone to go flirting with anyone else? The answer? <laughs> Let me show you around. Okay. We're, we're in Sophia's apartment. On her bookshelf are manuals on flirting. <laughs> the perfect seductor. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. To explain how Sophia ended up with this particular library, we have to go back to her childhood. We traveled a lot. Her parents were her traveling musicians. So I got to know all those different cultures. She grew up the kind of kid who traveled places and studied other people. And the connections between people. But, but her stepdad was pretty abusive. We were fighting a lot, and he would tell me on a daily basis that I was a loser, that I was too fat, that I was ugly. And then she was 17. Sitting there thinking, okay, that's enough. Like, this cannot be how life is supposed to be. She wasn't just going to watch life from the sidelines. And for her, that meant being more bold. I started to dress more beautifully. And started loving her body. Men were hitting on me on the street. And then she met a guy. Let's call him Max. Max is blonde. He's tall. And I madly fell in love with him. They were both people watchers, people studiers. And that's when Max told her about Pickup. Also, we had like... He said he, said he did something called Pickup. What do you mean? Well, I mean, he was like, hey, um, I have those two friends, and, you know, pickup, it's like... But did pickup, would that word have meant anything to you at that time? No, not at all. And we would go out with his friends and seduce women and have threesomes and crazy orgy parties, and it was so great. Like, to me, that was finally, I, I was good at it, you know? I was so good in seducing women and, like, making them come with us. And I, I was having so much fun. So when that relationship ended... It wasn't only my big love who was gone. Also, this lifestyle was gone. So that's when she thought back to pickup. And so she Googled it a bit. She found a pickup meetup in her neighborhood. With the belief that I would meet a bunch of guys who know how to seduce women. That is not what she found at all. They were mostly shy guys who tried to get better with women, but they didn't meet because they were already great with women. No, they met because they had a real pain there. They didn't know how to deal with it. The pickup scene, it calls itself a community, and they have their own jargon. Women are called targets. The neg, that's a backhanded compliment meant to make her feel insecure and thus more open to sleeping with you. There's a sub-school of pickup that talks about hypnosis techniques. It gets really manipulative. Sophia looked at this scene and saw men who just didn't know how to connect. And she discovered she was pretty good at helping them. And they started to ask me for advice. And slowly um, it happened that someone just believed I was a coach and asked me if I could give him a coaching. And then I got invited to this conference as a speaker, and I started to travel around. I developed my own seminar, which was called Seduction on the Dance Floor. She'd go on to develop other workshops with titles like Authentic Dating and How to Flirt with Her, Not Against Her. In improv class, Sophia had noticed that Akhtham was loosening up and becoming more confident. And she and Akhtham had talked about his trouble applying this new workshop self to his real life. Yeah, I mean, this shouldn't be just in the improv or in the theater. This should be something that uh, I can get in life. So Sophia made him an offer. She'd give him a flirt coaching session. Okay. And after the break, things are going to get blunt. I'm, I'm going to say that in a, in a little bit of a mean way. Are you aware of your arrogance here?
Support for this podcast and the following message is brought to you by Udacity. The jobs of tomorrow start here. Learn cutting-edge Silicon Valley skills to get a rewarding job in mobile and web, digital marketing, data, intro to self-driving cars, machine learning, and much more. Enroll now and save $50 at udacity.com slash rough translation. Limited time offer. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Ophira Eisberg from Ask Me Another. Every week we play nerdy games with contestants and celebrities. Hear Patrick Stewart dramatically read Taylor Swift lyrics or learn how many quills there are on a porcupine. Find Ask Me Another on the NPR One app or wherever you get podcasts. We're back with Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. Louisa Beck and I are in a cab with Akhtham heading downtown. Yeah, we're in the cab uh, on our way to this um, flirt coaching thing. So what's, what's on your mind as you're heading into this? Well, it's, if it's beneficial, then uh, by the end of this year, I should be with a girlfriend. You've given yourself uh, six months. Uh, yeah, and it's like... Uh, His big fear, it turns out, is that the flirt coaching session will work. That he'll learn what's wrong with him and still not actually be able to act on it. And still didn't work out. And that'll I mean, prove he's a hopeless case. Yeah, it's not magic, I know. Do you think there's any cultural difference between you and the girls you want to date that is getting in the way, do you think? Um, no, I, I, would, I wouldn't think so, because, because a lot of things. Um, Akhtam says the longer he stays in Germany, like, the closer he feels culturally. I think, or I, I do believe that uh, I'm so much closer to the cultural thinking of relationships and openness and stuff like that here more than um, what I used to have there. I think that's surprising because I kind of went into the story thinking this was about a cultural, trying to cross a cultural divide. You're saying that's not the problem. I believe no. Akhtam talks about cultural differences like the ones they talk about on German TV. And he says he doesn't have any of those. I I actually come from a community that uh, also respects women's rights. Our our community. Yeah. And I'm raised this way, actually, thanks to mom. And my father as well. Oh, let's let's go meet Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we get to the coffee shop that Sophia's chosen. A really tiny cafe. This is Sophia's like neighborhood cafe. She always comes here. She takes Akhtham there. Sophia says that she likes to keep her flirt sessions as close to real-life dates as possible. They sit in these kind of, like, loungy chairs. Yeah. All right. Now tell me more about this person that you met. Akhtam tells her about really his only semi-romantic experience in Germany, that date with the German med student, Stina. Do you still have the texts? I still have the texts. Can I see them? Yeah. He pulls out his phone, starts scrolling through the texts. Okay, well, you're looking for that. Um, this is a, an, an interesting question for me because I think there could be some cultural difference. 
how about the whole sex stuff? Like, I mean, do you have some one-night stands here in Berlin? Do you have... I never had. You never had one-night stands? You I never had sex? I never had uh, no one-night stands, no sex, no... So you're still a virgin? Yeah. Okay. Also, by kissing. What by kissing? You never also kissed a never girl? never kissed a girl on the mouth. Okay, yeah, because it's lips. like... Um. At this point, Akdam has now found the texts. The text exchange that he has been trying to figure out himself for a whole year. Mm-hmm. He hands it over to Sophia so she can try to decode it for him. And as she stares at the phone, Akdam is watching her face. <laughs> it's so charming and cute. Wow, she's like straightforward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she wants to cook together. She wanted to. That's really nice. Sophia turns to Akdam's texts and actually reads one of his texts out loud, which totally mortifies him. But I'm in for the game. Smiley. Also, I'm ready for other plans. Smiley. Tell me when and where, and I'm going to be there. Smiley. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> no, it's really cute. It's making <laughs> your face like. You look embarrassed, but it's really, it's charming. Akdam's arms are now crossed, and he's saying, you can punch me. But Sophia's leaning toward him. She's about to tell him something about this interaction that he totally missed. So from her messages, she seems to be really interested, or she seems to be really interested in sex with you. Like, that's obvious to me, because, wait a second... No, no, that's another message here, Stina. Um, she's writing, we can cook together, which means you're already at the place, you know? And she seems to be interested in sex. And um, the change happens after you met the second time, after this date at the yeah. game. So my guess is that at this date, you probably did nothing wrong. But maybe you just didn't do a move. You know what I mean? But... Um... Truthfully, I, I I would feel scared to suggest such a thing. If she doesn't want to and if she sees that, oh God, he's, he's trying to get me to bed and uh, I'm just trying to be nice because, maybe because he's, um, he's a refugee or because he's a nice guy and I'm trying to know him or I'm, trying, I'm just trying to be friends with him and he just thinks, this is one of the ideas that... Mm-hmm. But there's... Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to say that in a, in a little bit of a mean way. Are you aware of your arrogance here? I get the whole thing. I understand your feelings. Okay. But there's also one part in it that's really arrogant. And that's the part where you think that you have to think and decide for her. She's a grown-up person. When you tell her that you're interested in her, she is totally fine with saying, no, I'm not. Because she's grown up too. You're not dating a 15-year-old kid. You're dating a grown-up or you're seeing a grown-up woman. And if she doesn't want something, she's capable of saying it. And you should give her that choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You get what I'm talking about? Never thought of it. Yeah, that's why I said it so in such a straight way. Sometimes when you're in a foreign country, it is hard to know how to read other people's signals. 
or how to respond to them without crossing a line. And for that reason, there are workshops now for refugees across Europe focusing on countering aggressive behavior, teaching that no means no, and miniskirts are not an invitation. But for Akhtam, the problem is different. He's being too protective. I, I'm really now surprised how, how I never think about it this way. It's a two-side story. It's uh, accepting what's coming from the other side and interacting with it. And No, yeah, because... Um we moved to another spot because some kids sat nearby. Sophia doesn't like to talk about sex next to kids. Also, she's got an exercise for Akhtam. Okay, so let us um, practice the sexual tension for a moment. She gets up, scoots her chair close to his. All I'm going to do now is sit beside you and create like a really intense sexual tension with the one goal that you try to um, bear it. Okay. Because as we already said, or as I already said, tension can sometimes feel unbearable and uncomfortable and weird. So when you start to like, just let it happen and be okay with it, it will be so much easier for you to actually have the sexual stuff in a flirt as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. And then all of a sudden she gets quiet. And she starts putting her fingers through her hair and leaning back. And she takes off her glasses and just looks at him. It started with taking off the... Yes, that's actually what I always do in my coachings. Um, I put off the glasses when I do a bit of role play. So there's a separation between role play and... Do you, do you realize that you just looked away? I do. Yes, and this mm. is exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's getting more complicated to keep the eye contact, right? Yeah. Once again. <laughs> yes. Second try. Again, deep eye contact. And this time he is holding her gaze. He's not looking away. So, as I said, I try to get rid of this glass separation. Mm-hmm role plays try to stay with me because now you keep the eye contact but I can see that you are leaning back inside do you feel that yeah try to still stay with me because you can have eye contact and actually look into each other's eyes and you can also have eye contact but actually not being really there you're right don't go away you're right okay okay attempt number three she literally tells him make yourself comfortable Look at how you sit, you're like so closed up. Hello. Hello. And Akham is doing better. His arms aren't crossed and he's smiling back at her. And? Mm-hmm. How you do? <laughs> In that last bit, Akham is imitating Joey from the TV show Friends. But Sophia tells him, you're not supposed to get goofy at this moment. Stay with me. Okay, can you feel the tension now? Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Nice. What wow? <laughs> that was actually quite nice right now. It's kind of, yeah, I, when I just get heated up, just... Uh, mm. there, now, you, now you have it. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. Do you feel it? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I think for now, I'm going to put my glasses back on. <laughs> for now, it was a good start. Um, Sophia tells Akham, just trying to follow your gut in these kind of situations. Of course, in a new place with new rules, your gut could be wrong. So Akham is trying to change at least how he comes across in these kind of situations. Just recently, he went to a party. He told himself the whole time, don't cross your arms. Don't cross your arms. I try. I try. Yeah, yesterday I did cross my arms lots of the times, but... Um... <laughs> Rahad, the Syrian woman, has been coming to improv class less often. Her mom just joined the family from Syria. They've been busy trying to extend their visa. But Sophia told me that when Rahad did come to class a few weeks ago, she gave her first monologue in front of the group. She gave it while Sophia was crouched between her legs, growling with rage, playing her anger translator. Akhtham is now two months into his six-month deadline. He's not yet asked out anyone on a date. But he told us he has this particular fantasy, where one day he'll be riding his bike and a girl will pass on her bike. Because I drive with hands free, so I just, just go and do this. He forms his two hands into a heart shape against his chest. But I never do it, the hard thing. I mean, why not? Just like a flirt passing by. That was episode seven of Rough Translation, and it's our wrap on our first season. We are now hitting the field booking flights, looking into some of the story ideas that you have sent us. Thank you for those. Please keep them coming. If there's anywhere you think we should go next, reach us on Twitter at Roughly. I'm at Radio Grego. Or send us an email, roughtranslation at npr.org. If this is your first episode, welcome. we got a lot more for you in the feed at npr.org slash roughtranslation. And if you have heard our whole season and you are thinking to yourself, hey, you know, I want me some more rough translation. I want more of these global perspectives on familiar conversations. There is something that you can do. It only takes a minute. Write us a review or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We actually have a link on our Facebook page and Twitter to walk you through the steps. It does make a huge difference to the show. I want to thank a few people who've made this podcast possible. Mike Oreskes, an early champion of the show, Neil Carruth, our humble and fearless shepherd, and my wife, the novelist Sana Krasikov. She helped conceive of this podcast idea and has made every episode better. Thank you. This episode of Rough Translation was produced by Jess Jang and edited by Marion McCune. I am incredibly lucky to work with this team. Thanks to NPR correspondents Ruth Sherlock and Deb Amos, and to interpreter Dina Salat Eldin. Thanks to the Improv Without Borders workshop for letting us record week after week. And we should add that Sophia says that despite her rocky childhood, she has patched things up with her stepdad and has the best relationship with him now. Today's episode was fact-checked by Greta Pittenger and Mary Glendening. They're part of the Research Archives and Data Strategy team. We are so lucky to have them on board. Mastering by Andy Huther. Rough Translation theme music, as always, by John Ellis. Check out his music either live or on his website. Additional music for this episode by the German band Holzig and from Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Gregory Warner. See you on the road. Okay.